0: This is Michael Osterlank. Welcome to o Radio, where we explore individual and social transformation through collaborative action. I'm a psychotherapist with a transpersonal and somatic specialization. I'm also a transpartisan social entrepreneur, head instructor at SealFit's and Beatable Mind Academy, executive coach at Spartan 7, and director of human resilience at Aperion Zoe. Today's show is brought to you by Synergy Float Center, a premier flotation therapy center located in Old Town Alexandria. You can learn more about Synergy Float Center at SynergyFloatCenter.com. Today's guest is Dr. Mikra Hamilton, who is a co-founder and CEO of a Perion Zoe Corporation, a precision performance ecosystem that curates limitless expression. A system designer and creative disruptor in the field of precision human performance, she informs a new paradigm of what is possible for human flourishing and purposeful evolution. Dr. Hamilton speaks internationally on the focus of epigenetics of the human environment, breathing sciences, conscious leadership, and peak psychophysiological performance. A highly decorated retired Colonel Hamilton spent 30 years in the U S air force as a system strategist and human performance subject matter expert. Leveraging this experience, she works with a complex system approach for data driven precision to optimize human and corporate performance and potential. Her contributions assist aware individuals, conscious corporations, international organizations to create system enhancements which drive impact and create global change. Hey, Micra, how are you?
1: I'm awesome, Michael. And you?
0: That's good, good, good to see you.
1: Great to amazing, be here. Amazing
0: biography there
1: it's so funny when you when you hear somebody read your history you just kind of laugh because you go that's not at all who I am (laughs) and yeah that's what I've been doing so
0: well let's find out who who you are so what led you to become a system scientist or at least a system thinker and interested in optimizing human performance and well-being
1: life right life (laughs) led me to that and it's and it's so interesting the way we find our way into our purpose and our passion. And, and there's nothing complicated about it. You simply follow the next step. And as you look back, you say, wow, every single thing that I've ever done has really purposefully lined up to create what I'm creating now. Um, and I, you know, being 30 years in the military uh, in, and for me in a culture that protects and serves, right, or protects and defends, it, um, you know, it's such a high ops tempo that I feel like it's, it's one of the most essential places for the human to perform at our highest capacity. And so really, um, I find, our, I find us to be limitless and I feel like uh, most of us haven't tapped into that limitless nature uh, and, and, and yet we're all moving to that place. And so, um, you know, designing new performance strategies is just a ton of fun for me.
0: But that's not a large percentage of the population thinks that way or operates that way. Not um, yet. Not, <laughs> not yet. That's for sure. Right. But so, you know, as a youth, when you're, when you're a young woman or young girl, like, did, did limitlessness come to your mind? Like, how did you get into this field? How did you generate an interest in um, understanding and exploring human health, well-being, and performance? Because it's such a unique niche that not too many people either explore or create a whole business around and operate within.
1: Well, to the question about um, my my sort of state of being as a child,
0: yeah,
1: yes, I knew a limitless nature, and you know, if you think of, I'm sure you've seen, there's a little girl that is standing on a uh, kind of a brick uh, brick wall overlooking the city, and she's you know she's got her little ponytail in, and she's got the uh, Superman cape right? She's standing just excited about life. And you can tell just by looking at her that nothing is going to stop her from having an adventurous life. And that was me. I knew, I knew from the time I was tiny that I wanted adventure. And I looked around and it was interesting because you know, you, you watch the the life cycle of the human and you see these pure, innocent, playful, imaginative, creative beings. And they hit adolescence and now there's all this stress and pressure to perform and to be who, you know, everybody thinks we should be, all of our culture editors. and And then we, and then we go the traditional route where we go into school and we train to be a subject matter expert in one tiny little lane. Um, And then we strive uh, to achieve basically. I mean, this is like the normal life cycle. And then we retire because all of a sudden at the age of 60, somebody thinks that we're no longer valuable and that our wisdom doesn't matter. Uh, And so all of the usefulness that we've had either gets translated into a different type of expression or we sit around and wait to die, broken and addled with somebody wiping our backside. And, and, you know, I look at that and I go, okay, that makes no sense to me. And what do we need to do about it so that it doesn't make sense to anyone? And, and that's really, you know, uh, kind of what drove me to enter the military was Adventure One, okay. like-minded people too, right? The, the folks who, the 1% of our population that chooses to serve in the military, and remember, it's an all-volunteer force, as you know. Uh, that 1%, they're generally the trailblazers, the uh, people who want adventure, they're willing to give up their lives um, in service to their fellow humans, you know, and it's—and they're fun, they're not so serious, and and it's not like, woe is me, right? There's, there's that excitement and adventure. So um, that really drew me, and the opportunity to see what um really high performers are capable of. So I was on the Air Force triathlon team. You know, I flew Cessnas and jumped out. I did all kinds of crazy stuff. And I realized that the human can do anything, right? I already knew that, but, but actually having taken the steps, that we can do anything we choose to do when our limiting beliefs are not present. So that's kind of what drew me, um, and I'm still that way, right? There's nothing that I don't feel like I can do.
0: <laughs> well, one of the things that's really, among many, that's really interesting about you is integrating ancient wisdom in modern and high-tech and cutting-edge science. So let's go to the ancient wisdom, because so I know you're very interested in consciousness. You just talked about mindset. Was there a spiritual path that you had as a child that kind of developed your interest in 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 on the spirit, at least on the spiritual, mental, emotional side, on on, on limitlessness, where did the spiritual side of you come from?
1: It's such an interesting story, and so the answer is yes, but not in the way I think that you're asking the question. Okay, so I I was indoctrinated very, very early into a, a holy roller, evangelical, um, concrete understanding of God as the angry father that that basically punishes you and and there isn't anything you can do to redeem yourself now on the back side of that was Jesus right um and and I never got that I had to uh constantly beg forgiveness for being a human and so um really completely took myself I mean Jesus made sense because that was unconditional love And, and so it was almost like the angry father brought the son to show us what pure love actually meant. So that was a good, right? That was a good exemplar. Um, but, but there was so much of it that I watched in, in the churches and in the gatherings that, that I would call inconsistent. And so I stepped away from, I was an elder in the Presbyterian church and Christian ed director. And, you know, I did. I did all of the family things in the tradition, uh, a little gentler than I was raised. And then I realized that most of it didn't make sense to me. So I stepped completely away from it and um, had had a health event where I was six weeks from a surgery where I had to be still. And I'd never been still in my entire life because I'm a doer, I'm a go-go-getter, and that stillness awakened an awareness in me that I hadn't uh, experienced before, and so it started into what what is actually true uh, about what we are, who we are, um, how we interact with ourselves and with the planet, and so it kind of started um, in that way, and it simply, uh, over time, just expanded, expanded, I, I love the ancient wisdom teachings because they got, just like the Greeks got, that everything matters. You know, the internal and external environments interacting, interrelating are what create the experience. And so, you know, we've always known that they worked, but we the West goes, "Oh man, that stuff's crazy. You're like praying to all these different gods and you're doing... And it isn't, it isn't that at all, right? Um, and yet until you, until you make the decision to explore it, you have no idea. And so what I love to do is I love bridging or merging or translating the ancient wisdom of spirituality into the present wisdom of science. They are one and the same, right? They are not separate. They are not on different ends of the spectrum. They're the same thing. And so as we're able to, with the science that we now know meditation shifts 2,500 genes at least beneficially in six weeks, right, um, that breathing does all of these beautiful things in the complex human system movement, right, as we validate all of that through functional MRI and the different biomarkers that we can put on the, on the body and in the brain, then people go, oh, Oh, that stuff really does work. And if I take off the religious connotations and I just go, wow, breath is foundational to human life and here's how I can optimize and even enhance my system with it. Um, then, then we can begin to have a conversation, right? Because it takes away all of the barriers that keep us from, from really doing things with our human system that are beneficial that upgrade our consciousness, that um, improve our connections, our you know, decision-making capacity, our creative innovation.
0: You, you mentioned breath and I know that you're well-versed and well-trained in various breath technologies. Mm-hmm. When did breath come into play for you in your own personal development and how did that lead then to you utilizing it for clients and others around you?
1: Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. And I love that you used breath technology because the breath is a technology and we can leverage it. And oh my goodness, when we do, we hit levels of performance and awareness that we've never known to be possible. So we'll kind of set that aside for a minute. Um, you know, that surgery that I told you about that put me into stillness, it, it also um, began to uh, shine a light onto uh, what most of the world calls trauma. I call it stuck energy, right? Energy in the system that gets stuck from an experience. And so I don't look at it as disempowering. I just see it as, as an experience that got stuck in the body or the mind or wherever it, where it got stuck. And I said, you know, I was in some meetings um, with, with some folks in DC, you know, SecDef of Health's office. and And I said, so can I ask, why aren't we using sound as a modulator for trauma and you know i I was respected and had a place at the table and they heard me and they said "Micah, look um it it isn't that we don't believe that sound can be a modulator it's that there's no proof and until there's proof it's like this Uh -uh," right and so i was encouraged to gather the evidence so I, in 2012, I built an anechoic sound chamber that was designed to um, use the sacredness of sound, so, you know, mantra and all of the beautiful harmonic structures that have been used throughout time to heal or to tell story that opens awareness, uh, and, and merge it with tech, right, so a really high-tech chamber. That um, allowed me to understand what psychoacoustic sound did in the body Mind spirit complex. And that was in 2012, 2020, and we've come a long way, right? <clears throat> um, it's still on the very baby verges uh, vestiges. I guess I think of people really knowing that how powerful it is. But it is true that vibrational sciences is the uh, healing modalities of the future are the healing modalities of the future and we're already seeing that with directed ultrasound and all kinds of stuff
0: what did you learn in that acoustic environment that you're allowed to play in in 2012
1: oh my goodness you know so uh as, as a tiny bit of background i did um battlefield acoustic research with the air force okay and so we would kit up the pilots and and the different flying platforms and we would work to see where did we need to minimize noise? Where did we need to improve calm so that not only did they hear everything they needed to hear, they could make decisions much more quickly, not miss anything and have uh, errors that resulted in uh, negative outcomes. Right. So we did that, but we also did propagation of sound and how, how the individual warrior localizes, tells, you know, like where it's coming from. And the, the sound research was very, very high-tech uh, and, and created lots of wonderful um, performance tech that helped them do their jobs better, right? And we continue to do that today. So So when you take that and you go, okay, the human localizes like this or the human processes sound like this. And then you say, okay, what if you did it differently? what if the inputs were not what the human is used to? What if the human was immersed in sound structure, soundscape that moved in ways that, that natural sound isn't coming in? So if it's above and below and if it's around it, in very specific spatialized ways and the uh, environment's anechoic where it doesn't reflect sound, what happens then? And what happened was startling because it was novel and the brain and the nervous system didn't know what to do with it. So it was like, okay, something really freaky happened to me. I had all these visions and I I perceived myself very differently. Sometimes I felt like I was the sound Sometimes I felt like the sound was coming out of me. Sometimes right, it was, it, it was permeating me and creating these interesting states. And so we were like, wow, this is curious. And, and basically what, what ended up happening was we began to deconstruct um, the way natural sound here in the human environment propagates and then construct what happens in the brain and in the whole system, when you um, immerse it, surround it by certain um, sound structures. So, you know, like with psychedelic uh, medicine or trauma therapies, it basically takes a default mode network offline and you know yourself differently. And that gives you a different frame of reference from which to begin to prospect your experience. Sound does that too, sounds legal, it's inexpensive, right? And everybody has access to it. And so that was the, that was the, the basic goal was, let's prove that sound can mitigate PTSD uh, in its extremes. Uh, you know, take the, say, say, Vietnam era guy, total trauma, right? From being a survivor. I've got survivor's guilt because my buddies didn't come home and I did. And then when I did come home, I was treated like I was not a human. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty dishonoring to begin with, but, but what's happened in their, in their human system is that they don't have access to the chemistry of connection and love. It's all shut down. The oxytocin's turned off, the dopamine's in the basement, serotonin, right? And so now I'm numb and I'm giving medications to numb me even more. I don't feel, and, and it's rare, like I might have a memory of how I felt before I left, but but you know so i said what are the ways that we can restore that feeling because once you turn the chemistry back on and you get it moving it moves right and you remember and you go whoa so i said i said what if we what if we took the music that they listened to when they were in their innocence right before they went off to vietnam to serve their country and Uh, you know, we had them immersed in it, like in a giant, like you're in the middle of a giant stereo that's crystalline sound. Now, we know that music can elicit a state of being. And so if I hear, like if it was the cars, I'm a little bit later than the Vietnam uh, era, but if it was the cars and I was on my way to spring break and that's what made me feel alive and connected and with my buddies and just like on top of the world, what would that do, right? How would that begin to restore the chemistry? Then what if we put videos of uh, our baby girl who was there just before we went away, right? And uh, what if we could restore the feeling in the system? Such beautiful, exquisite feeling that would turn that chemistry back on, right? So we knew that would be a beginning. Um, Then we started looking at the nervous system and what happens um, to the nervous system as life happens. And so we got another level of it. And then we learned how to work with um, moving the nervous system into homeostasis, right? Not relaxation response, because that's not where we're ideal, not activated because that's not where we're ideal, but in that fine tuned place of idle. Um, And then, and then we were able to jump, um, advanced technologies in like brain stimulation. So map the brain, know exactly what the experiences have done to the brain itself. So trauma signatures, if you will, or hyper arousal, overactivity, um, the mind that never turns off. Mm-hmm. Now let's stimulate it back to its ideal rhythm, and then what happens? Right. Also, right sleep, food, all of the everything matters. But it um, all of this over the last ten years has given us a deep window into the human system, and you know we've we've worked with it so long now that we're actually able to not just restore the system to its ideal state from trauma, but take the system to an optimized and enhanced expression. Now, when you take a say a say a warrior, right? who's already top 1%, when you take a warrior and you restore that system to wholeness, then you leverage what they've already learned from an advanced capacity with with advanced tools and, and technologies. Uh, they're a whole different human being. And I, you know, I always say we we want to create super soldiers, but they have to be superhuman. Or we have a lot of killing machines, right? Yeah. And while that might be necessary in certain scenarios, it's mostly not necessary in the way we think it is. So,
0: <laughs> okay. So, a lot what you say is that sound, and you brought together sound with uh, um, visual uh, stimulation, and then you use neurofeedback. Is that also what I heard? From- mostly
1: neuromodulation, right? Okay. Neurofeedback is, in in my um, estimate, a bit too slow especially when you're talking about high performers who don't have a lot of time to sit around and do 20 or 40 neurofeedback sessions. stimulation can uh, really put the brain back into the ideal state and then take it beyond that state in, in 10 sessions, 10, 30 minute sessions. You know, I had a, um, I had a performer, I just call him a performer, right. Who had six, tbis traumatic brain injuries and the brain was in in such an overdriven over aroused state that that this this gentleman was basically um graded as how is he even functioning it mm-hmm. was that dysregulated also nervous system dysregulation chronic sympathetic tone in the entire system and we did 10 sessions of neurostimulation, along with heart rate variability and CO2 optimization, right? Carbon dioxide optimization. In that way, we, we, um, we produced an environment in the entire system that said thriving and flourishing and enhanced, right? This is what we're not doing across the industry. We're going, oh, TBI, let's put a little uh, neurofeedback there. Okay, we've got peptides that really increase BDNF or that brain-derived neurotropic factor in the brain. I mean, the, the things that we have available to us to not just restore the system, but to enhance it, they're beyond science fiction. They're here now and everybody's afraid to use them because there's not 30 years of evidence-based. Now, with NeuroStem, there is 30 years of anecdotal and evidence-based uh, to a certain degree. So I think, I think we're finally getting to a place where we're willing to go, uh, like with Alzheimer's. It's not okay for this to happen. And when we have technologies and tools to um, ensure that it doesn't, why aren't we using them wide scale as as a population, as a healthcare system, right? Why aren't we mapping everybody's brains before they go knock knock it out on the soccer field, right? Then football, then lacrosse, then military service, then car accidents. If you don't have a baseline from right. which to you know, what what can you do with it, right?
0: What I love hearing you talk about is is you're not siloed in your thinking, so it's not like it's not just this device. It's not just this device. It's not just this device, but you're bringing all these technologies together. And also I heard you talk about nutrition. We can go down that path as well and and fitness and movement, you know, all those things as well, but you're bringing a whole system approach to a whole system called the human being.
1: <laughs> it's like a duh, right? You go, oh, okay, Yes. But wait a minute, most of the medical system is not doing that, right? Reductionistic science, Reductionist, yeah. pipes, silos, yeah. and a pill for an ill instead of root cause, let's go there first, and then all of the other symptoms simply resolve, well, right? Bill for the ill,
0: I mean, I'm just thinking. We just with PTSD, a lot, of, a lot of our uh, soldiers, sailors, and marines are on on a multitude of medications. Oh God! And they, you know, you can say maybe one has been tested, but they've never been tested against each other. We have no idea the the polypharmacy. So when anyone says to you, "Well, there's not enough evidence to support the use of these machines," like. There's no evidence to support the use of these drugs. <laughs> Especially multiple drugs on top of each other. That's and, you know, I mean, yeah.
1: you know, and this is, this is one of the things that, you know, when I retired in 2019, I made the decision to stand on a platform, right? A platform of change. And it's not an angry platform, right? It's not a railing against the systems. The systems are doing the best they can. Uh, and I've worked in them 30 years and I know that. There are good people doing good things. But here's here's, um, the the issue is, as you pointed out, when, you know, when we see one suffering and we go, well, what what do we have in our toolkit to alleviate some of the suffering? Well, you know, they're really sad. So let's give them some Prozac and they can't sleep. So let's give them some Lunesta and then they can't wake up. So let's give them this, right? The, the, The scads of medications that are piled on top of each other in these, uh, in, in, it's not just the veteran population, it's the active duty population too and most of America, yeah. right? So, so we need to get very real about what's actually happening. The majority of our culture is unhealthy, unhappy, and really don't want to be present, and they're actually not present, right? So for me, I go, okay, where can I, where can I make a difference? And it's where I have my expertise. So I say, okay, Let's, let's take the DOD right medical system, which is good because it's a preventive model, right? So, so it's a step ahead of the government's healthcare model in that the whole goal is to keep the individuals fit to fight or fit to serve, fit to defend, whatever. Um, and so, so we do look at total exposure health we look at what are the influences from the environment that have an effect on the system. And we can track those. So every military person has basically a good tracking of everything they've been exposed to because they know the bases they've been in, they know the incidents that have happened in those bases or in those areas. And then they can, they can tie together the exposures with the negative health effects. That they're seeing from those exposures, right? So, so the military has it right when it comes to uh, what we say conservation, right, and prevention uh, or preventative medicine. It's just still in too small of a in too small of a scale because they won't leap to precision because of everybody's belief in their rights being violated as somebody has their DNA. Well, they took my DNA in 1993. I've never thought about my rights being violated, right? It's, it's the, the precision is what's going to get us to the superhuman, the super soldier who doesn't um, get diseased, state, die, broken, and addled or kill themselves because they're so in the depths of an unbalanced human system that they can't see the beauty and the gift of life, right? It, to, to me, it's our responsibility to those who have given their lives in, in service to their country to restore their honor um, and, and not just to uh, fix them when they break. Because, you know, I was talking to a surgeon general in the special ops community and he goes, well, we accept that they're going to break. okay. First of all, that's nothing ever to accept because it isn't necessary. Yes, does it happen? Of course, but it doesn't have to be accepted as an axiom. Yeah, we're going to break them. Second, we don't properly put them back together, Mm -hmm. right? They're beautiful numbers who do us a good service. And the minute they retire, they are forgotten. And I can say that. Right? I did 30 years. I got out and one day I was a, a highly ranking <laughs> respected individual. And the next day I was retiree. I'm not caught up in that. So it didn't bother me. But for a lot of people, that's a big deal, right? Yeah. Um, the transition between, right, the uh, DOD and the VA should be seamless. And, you know, we worked in Congress in 2009 to stand up a hearing center of excellence to at least, because hearing was the number one compensable uh, damage, I think PTSD might be now, but it was two billion a year in compensation to veterans, and we couldn 't even get them transitioned from the DoD over to the VA. It took eighteen months to get them established in the VA system. so we, we made we made great progress on that. but the entire system, right from the beginning of that pipeline of an individual 's career, to the time that they die, right? Meaning transition out of this life, they're ours, right? Because that's what we say we're going to do for them. Right. And how how well are we doing it? Uh, and so uh, well and also not well is is what I would say. So you, you hear, right? You hear uh, what's happening with me in this because I know mm-hmm. that we can do it differently and, and then military service... Equals the honor that that we all think it is when we enter it, right? With that f- waving flag and our our veins bleeding for me, blue the Air Force. You know, I would die for any one of the people in our nation or anywhere in the world. But you can't say that about most people, right? So we're there. We they are a special breed, and and I would love to see. Well, I'm gonna I'm going to see it changed. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy, right?
0: Crazy good. You know, you know one thing you, you pointed out, and I want to point out your use of language. You mm-hmm. you don't use the pathological language. Mm-hmm. When someone said to you we they're going to be broken, we or you know, the, the broken psychopathology or physiological pathology. That's not the way you look at the complex adaptive system called the human. Mm-hmm. And I'd love for you just to spend a few minutes talking about your paradigm uh, of that that does not use that language that offers us another way of thinking about people which is so powerful and that if any one of the systems we operate in would switch to this new paradigm it would change tremendously how we think about each other and ourselves
1: and it's you know it's a beautiful new paradigm and you know we what we term it is precision performance medicine right and it has to be medicine right now because there is a bit of Um, well, there's a lot of things in the human system off track that we must restore the balance. Mm -hmm. But the way we look at it is it's a lens of toward thriving and flourishing. You know, right now, the sick care treatment care system, because it's not healthcare, sick care treatment care system says broken, uh, bandage up, Right let's let's give a little fix here and let's not think about the rest of it and the same thing with suicide and mental mental what you call mental illness mm-hmm. uh, to me it's it's a system out of communication there's no illness to it it's just not communicating properly but but they all look at how do we prevent suicide right? how do we prevent heart disease how do we prevent cognitive decline no 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 it isn't preventing it it's never encountering it to begin with, right? So if the lens was flipped instead of I'm moving away from these things that I don't like to I'm moving toward thriving and flourishing as a species because the human knows how to do it, right? If all of the energy is sent there, then what happens is we we don't spend 80% of our financial resources on 20% of the chronically ill population right we don't do that it makes no sense if we take the 80% that are healthy that want to stay healthy and we put in strategies to keep them healthy through precision you know biometrics that you know you track and ai deep learning that can tell us based on this genetic predisposition and this lifestyle intervention now Um, we know that we don't have to have these things occurring, right? So, you know, all disease state is a disconnection of some part of the human system. So the way we look at it beyond the toward thriving and flourishing is we even have different categories. So we have no diagnoses, right? makes no sense to put a label on something. Because once I tell you that you're diabetic and you see all these diabetic people around you dying, you go, I am diabetic.
0: So you'll live into that story.
1: And you you not only right you create that story and then you live it to the best of your your creative capacity. And so now you make excuses for why you can't do things and life takes this spiral down because nobody wants to be unhealthy. Nobody would choose it, right? So so what we said is what if we had a different categorization of um, health sort of health progression, right? So we look at it through the lens of health consciousness. How aware am I of my responsibility for my health and well-being and that only I can take the actions to promote thriving and flourishing in my system? And we do have enough evidence for anybody to recognize they need sleep and they need to eat good food. and whatever. We have all that. That's like baby stuff. But if we, if we categorize it as the system is either unbalanced, right? That means it's not in its intelligent design, functioning in a healthy, thriving way. Balanced, meaning homeostasis, right? That narrow window that humans thrive in, Mm -hmm. or at least stay incredibly healthy in. Um, And then we say, okay, in the upper levels of homeostasis, there's optimization. So now I'm an optimized human where most of the time, I'm doing really well. I'm happy. I'm healthy. I'm connected. I'm contributing. I'm creative, right? And then now, today, we have these opportunities that we've never had um, exposure to, access to. And they're advanced biologics. So um, peptides, hormonal strategies, peptides, exosomes, you know, senolytics things that really completely restore the human state to youthful thriving. And when we take those along with advanced technologies that can entrain the body and the brainwaves and actually the mind into an ideal expression um, and, and add on to that genetic specificity, right, with environmental exposure information, now you have everything you need to bring this system into first and foremost homeostasis and then go to the limitless place that we're capable of, right? But there isn't a limitless pill, right? As much as we want it, as much as there are some great things like neurohackers got qualia and all those things, they're great. They're pieces to the whole, right? And so, you know, if we redefine the way we looked, looked at it, talked about it, um you know all of the broken language uh creates more broken
0: Yeah.
1: thriving precise language that's empowering that says hey you know um we recognize that your life experiences have created this expression currently in your human system but guess what by knowing what's going on in that human system the precision of me not you, you're a guy, you're great, right? You're a guy, you don't even think the way I think. So by knowing who I am through the data of me, I'm able then to go, yep, okay, that's me. And I understand how my life experience has created this. So now that I understand that, I also recognize what I need to do to take action to create a new expression. That person armed with that precision knowledge will take action, create sustainable change over time. Could be three, could be as early as three months. It might take you two years. Generally we find one year and if the person is very dedicated to that new expression, they get there. And then they start to enter states that they never thought possible or suspected. And then, you know, right.
0: They proved
1: themselves <laughs> right, that, it, that it was.
0: Yeah. So if, if an individual watching or listening to this is like, wow, this is, this is what I want to get involved in. Mm. How do they come and work with you?
1: Well, there are several ways to work with us. So we've, um, as I said, you know, um, the, the PTSD platform is one. One very it's big, right, but it 's a tiny platform in our in the nonprofit foundation, so we, we do take select individuals uh, into a, a 12 month process for PTSD restoration of wholeness um, and, and so anybody who wants to chat about that can contact me directly because i I generally guide that that whole process. Um, in, we have medical centers that are precision performance centers. We've got one in Asheville, North Carolina, one in Austin, Texas, and we're going to be in St. Pete, Florida, and also Sedona, Arizona, uh, Costa Rica as well. But that's next year. So they can work in a 12-month program um, that can be found. It's appearoncenter.com. Uh, Zoe is our corporation, and that has all of the ecosystem in it. But we also have a training academy. It's, a, it's epigenetic precision performance coaching. And so it's an evidence-based way to take the genetic blueprint and use lifestyle modifications based on what's actually expressing, right? And not everything expresses that's in the code. And that's why the direct consumer genetic models are not uh, widely successful. But we train medical and non-medical providers to add this new precision to their process. So the performance coaches work with people and they, they just really are able with lifestyle strategies and some nutrigenetic, nutrigenomic uh, supplementation processes and, and a little bit of tech uh, strategies. They're able to fine tune an already healthy system, right? the medical docs actually use hormonal strategies and advanced peptides, but we teach them all of that. And we've used it for 10 years. And so it's well-validated uh, we have 500 coaches now, so that academy, right, uh, you, you, you know that. Um, <laughs> uh, that academy is, is uh, the future of precision performance in this new model that, that we talk about. We are also writing now a manifesto uh, for, it's the global, right, new generation precision health model. Right, so all humans, all humans are the same. We're all the same. It doesn't matter what we look like, Um, but it's basically leveraging the precision of the individual in a toward thriving model, Mm -hmm. and and that's to create new systems of complex, complex systems approaches to health and well being. So for medical schools, for Um, world organizations that are promoting change, like Global Wellness Institute's doing a great job uh, with that of redefining wellness. And, you know, there's so many entities out there that want to collaborate and build all of this together. So private industry with government um, partnerships where we can really change the story of what we're doing in, in this crazy expense of right government government health care. I mean it it makes zero sense and yet we continue to do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well from your lips to God's ears let's hope uh, uh, you're very successful in changing all the paradigms uh, in medicine and health and education and, and other things I know you're interested in involved in as well. Um, so what I'll do is I'll make sure to include in the show notes links to all the things you just talked about, the to, to, to various pieces of the ecosystem. Um, and you, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to tease our listening audience and invite you back because you mentioned the environment and its effects on genetics, epigenetics. Oh, yeah. and, I, and we didn't have a chance to jump into that, but I'd love to have a conversation with you at another point where we talk about how we need to rethink how we think about ecologies.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and how yeah. we change change our paradigm of that and how we relate to the natural world that will have a huge positive benefit to helping us as human beings globally speaking thrive but that's yeah. for another conversation that's okay with you
1: and, oh i would love that because it's the topic of um it's the topic of the town right Everyone recognizes as our environments change that we need to collaborate with them. Right. And, and promote thriving spaces. And so, yeah, that's uh, I I know that's on Congress's mind as well. And so I would love to do that. Cool.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you. Thanks for your time. Enjoy the conversation.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much, Michael. See you soon.
0: See ya.